the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. You never know who's around you. You don't know what weapon they have or, you know, what's in the back of their head. Over something stupid as a girl yelling something at you from a car, don't engage. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek, and I am sitting about 11 miles away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen, and I'm going to make a little disclaimer at the top of the episode. We're recording this on Monday, November 2nd, so we don't know what the fuck is going to happen tomorrow, so just letting you know, this is all pre-whatever our future may hold. So, so if anything happens between now and Wednesday, we're not being insensitive. This just comes out, you know, we bank this two days earlier. So that's all. Yes. Just, just an FYI. But Billy, what day is it on Wednesday? You know what? <laughs> it is. This is very, very uh, relevant. It's International Stress Awareness Day. And Ooh. I think this has probably been the most stressful year. Yep. Most people have had, and the most stressful uh, last couple days. Are you telling me people are out there who aren't aware of their own stress? Because I want to be one of those people desperately. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like, do you need to like really think about like, are you stressed or not? Like, it doesn't just live with you all day, every day, and loom oh, just in the I'm back of your mind. Too aware of my stress, <laughs> Billy. I'm sorry, but there is another amazing day that you have not touched on. Okay. Well, we need the, to talk about it. I love the fact that there's two days that, that I love when two days go head to head. It's all, it's national candy day and it's also national eating healthy day. No, they're just like, they're fighting each other. Billy. You and I love that. No, you still, Which one? you still did not get one second. I need to make sure that I am saying it is correct. It, is, it, is it King Tut Day? No, National Chicken Lady Day. <laughs> oh my God, that's my day. I, I know. <laughs> Honorary Alexis Day of yes. Chicken Lady. It's it's an uh, it's of it's, there was some it's an uh, an honorary of some lady that went by the Chicken Lady, and I just think that that is such a relevant day, especially for Alexis, because the picture is of a chicken wing. I had chicken wings today, Monday. Yes. <laughs> Today we had, chick- we had chicken wings for lunch. No, but I'll have chicken on Wednesday too. Uh, chicken Lady Day. I need to really look into this. I feel like it'll be a nice, like, um, inspiring day for us to maybe dive into. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you. We've all seen a late night fight. A little argument after a night of drinking escalates. Maybe it's a friend of yours who bumped into a guy looking for trouble. Maybe it was a group of complete strangers who looked at each other the wrong way. The toxic combination of alcohol, testosterone, and 2 a.m. can bring out the worst in people. Most of the time, it ends with both sides backing down, maybe a bruised ego or two. But sometimes, 
like in today's story, it can end in horror. So today's case takes us back to April 28th of 2012. There was a lot of good songs topping the charts. Somebody That I Used to Know by Gautier featuring Kimbra. We Are Young by Fun featuring Janelle Monet. Glad You Came by The Wanted. What Makes You Beautiful by One Direction. And Boyfriend by Justin Bieber. And movies like The Raven and The Three Stooges remake and Marley. So sad. We're in theaters. And the setting for today's case is Boston, which is Massachusetts' capital city. Boston's known for their famous baked beans, Fenway Park, and the Boston Marathon. And I'm going to read from the script that Alexis wrote. I live there, so as, quote, know-it-all Jensen, I will tell you some of my personal opinions and anecdotes (laughs) that no one will probably understand. (laughs) Yeah. Classic. Yes. Boston, it's a very, uh, it's a small town. Uh, It's a college town. And uh, they love their sports. That's it. That's it. You're okay. Yeah, that's it. I'm not going to get into anything else. You know. Okay. Okay. Well, get made fun of. Today's case starts as so many do with a phone call, and here's our first degree, Ariana. In 2012, I was at college at Quinnipiac in Connecticut, finishing my senior year. It was actually our spring weekend at school. So I had woken up a little late on that Saturday morning, but I noticed over a period of like an hour or an hour and a half, my mom had called me maybe like 15 times. And when I finally answered the phone, she was crying uncontrollably. And all she could say was that Stephen had gotten shot. And it was almost like I was just in shock. It felt like the world just stopped moving. I just, I didn't know how to respond. The first thing I said was, well, is he okay? Thinking like people get shot all the time and it's okay. You know, it's a flesh wound or it's a broken leg, something like that. And all she said was no. And I think I just dropped the phone and I just fell to the floor. It was like the most devastating phone call. Stephen Perez, Ariana's 22-year-old cousin and best friend, had been shot and killed, which was something so outside of the realm of possibilities of something that could happen now that Stephen was back in Boston. So you have to understand, Stephen served in Iraq and Afghanistan as an army sniper for two tours. And every time he left, his whole family would be terrified of receiving that dreaded phone call with news that something horrible had happened to him. Because that is a real possibility when you head out to war. But now he was back in the United States, so it was the furthest thing from their minds. And Stephen had enlisted in the Army when he hadn't even turned 18 yet. And in 2007, he left for his first tour as a sniper in the Army's Mountain Division. And Stephen was a decorated war vet who had moved back to his hometown of Boston in 2011 after he finished his second tour. And following his return, he planned to pursue a career in law enforcement with the ultimate goal of becoming a U.S. Marshal. Stephen was taking criminal justice classes at Bunker Hill Community College and planned to transfer to Boston University, which is where I went to school, to study criminal justice. But in the meantime, he had been accepted into the Revere Police Department and was preparing to start at the academy. He was on the waiting list. 
So his plan was to transition into working for a federal agency after working for a few years as a police officer. Back to Ariana. When she gets this news, she's standing in her dorm room and she's receiving the absolute worst news of her life. And her mind is spinning with the possibilities of what could have happened. And I want you to really understand the kind of relationship Ariana had with her cousin. They were the same age. They shared so many of the same friends. It was a situation where a lot of her girlfriends were dating Steven's friends. He would visit her at college and they were very, very close. So this is earth shattering news. I was standing in my room at uh, in my apartment at college and I just remember my roommates running to the door and I'm thinking like, how do they even know? Was I making a noise? I, you know, I didn't even know that I was crying loud and they just like ran into my bedroom to see what was happening. I assumed it was just like ran a random thing because there wasn't anybody who hated him. I assumed it had to have been random. And since he was calling me on a Saturday morning, I kind of assumed it was while he was out the night before. I was honestly just in such shock that I didn't even know what to think. Because for the four years before that, he was in the military. So I was like always afraid of that phone call. He served two tours. So it was kind of like something that I was always worried about. But then when he was finally out, it was something that kind of like, all right, this is over then, you know? So it was really weird to get that after the fact. So Stephen, having set his sights on a law enforcement career, clearly he wants to help people. But now he can't do any of the things that he planned for his future because Ariana is learning that her cousin and her best friend was dead. So what the hell happened? The detectives from the uh, Boston Police Department we're in close contact with my mom and my uncle. And they're the ones who kind of told us everything. And I don't quite remember how quickly we knew who it was, but they had the footage from the parking garage, the Tufts parking garage on Tremont Street. So in the beginning, the police didn't have much to tell them because they themselves were still trying to figure out still trying to wrap their heads around what had happened. And the details were coming in from multiple sources. Several people who had witnessed the events unfold actually took video on their cell phones. There were also surveillance cameras that captured the crime. So the puzzle was coming together bit by bit. And one passerby had videotaped using her phone from the fourth floor of the Tufts Medical Center garage. And she began when she heard the commotion and she stopped right before she heard the first gunshot. And here's what the police gleaned from the various video clips and witness statements. It turns out that a night that ended with the horror of Stephen's murder began with fun. Laughter and a night out with friends in Boston's theater district. So the theater district is located next to Boston's community park. And it basically consists about five blocks within Boston proper. And this area has an interesting story. In the 1940s, it had over 50 theaters in the area. And in the 1970s, developers began restoring and renovating these old theaters. So in the theater district modern day, there are a lot of fun bars and lounges. And this is the area Stephen and some of his high school friends decided to go bar hopping on this particular evening. So the group of friends consisted of Stephen, his friend Christopher, his friend Shane, his friend Mike, and his friend Matt. 
So all those friends, they're going out and they're partying, they're having fun. And then at around 1.45 in the morning, they start walking back to Steven's car. And his car is parked in a parking garage near the Tufts University Medical Center campus on Fremont Street. And there's a lot of energy this evening. There's a bunch of people around, bar goers are all returning to their cars, and there's just a lot of people walking around. A lot of energy in the streets that you'd really expect to see in a busy city over the weekend. And as Stephen and his friends approach the car, there are several people walking around. A young woman walks by, and she was a bottle service waitress who had just gotten off work at a club that was nearby. And the friends stop her and ask her if she wouldn't mind taking a few pictures of them. And she says, yes, no problem. The energy was high. The guys were still having fun. And they were winding down from a fun evening out. They just wanted to capture it. They were just in, enjoying being in their early 20s. But it's at this time that a black car pulls up and comes to a halt. The windows of the vehicle are partially down. And somehow, a conversation is started between the occupants of the vehicle and Stephen's friends who are still standing outside his car. The people inside this car were strangers to Stephen's group, and it's not clear how a verbal exchange started. The conversation began as an exchange of pleasantries, but after a few moments, somehow the energy shifts. And what started out as agreeable and a flat exchange transformed into insults being hurled between the two groups. So at a certain point, the passenger side door of the black vehicle is flung open and a woman sort of barrels out and she's yelling, she's screaming, and she starts physically pushing up against Stephen and his friends. And something we have to address is that, reminder, it's almost 2 a.m., it's a party night out, it's a Friday night, and that's closing time for Boston. And we have to imagine that many of the individuals involved in this unfolding scenario are likely somewhat impaired by alcohol to a degree. Because remember, these are strangers who had no previously established issues with one another whatsoever. So this confrontation that's ensued thus far was a result of a very quick verbal exchange that seemed to be getting out of hand. Right. And back to what was going on in this parking garage. So this screaming woman was becoming more and more upset. And she was lunging at these guys. So the driver of the car was out in front of the car and he tried to convince her to get back into the car. She refused. So he tried to physically guide her back into his car. She refused once more, and she seemed even more heated as these moments passed on. And there were several people in the garage observing this, and people were honking their horns in an attempt to de-escalate the entire situation. Then, all of a sudden, the driver of the car throws a punch, and it lands on Steven Perez. Now, Steven has military training, and he was also extremely fit. So after he was hit, he starts defending himself. And the two men start throwing punches, and a fight starts, and it's just one-on-one. And eventually, Stephen and the man are pulled apart. It doesn't really seem like there was a, like a big turning point or anything, because they had said that from the videotape that it had cooled down for a little bit. So there was a portion of time where nobody was even fighting anymore. If you watch the video, it's at this point this woman, who seems to be the catalyst, just keeps on going. And the driver, who just got in a physical scuffle, is holding her back as best he can. And in the video, you can see that this guy is also on the phone, which is a problem. Because he's actually calling for reinforcements. Because the group in the car had just had a night out with several friends who were close by. 
And now they were all going to come back and help these guys in this fight against Stephen and his friends. And by the way, Stephen's friends had not gotten involved in the fist fight. Stephen had gotten in with the driver. They stood back and let the one-on-one fight unfold in a fair manner. But for a moment, after we see the driver of the car on the phone, after the men are pulled apart, it seems that the fight is over. And it's not until three more men rush the scene that they start throwing punches and things escalate once more. And then I'm assuming that words probably got exchanged again, which ensued the fight again. My cousin was backed up against a car and there was two of them fighting him and he was fighting back. And then what started as a fight between two guys erupted into a brawl. And in this footage, it seems like a tangled knot of flying fists. There's screaming, there's cursing, there's name calling, and there are people on the ground being hit and stomped on. And then seemingly out of nowhere, there's a gunshot and the crowd scatters. And after everyone has run away, what was left was Steven Perez on the ground, bleeding after suffering a shot in the back. And following the gunshot, paramedics and police arrived. They rushed Stephen to the nearest hospital, but they couldn't save him. He died 20 minutes later. An autopsy was conducted and revealed that Stephen died as a result of the bullet piercing his abdominal aorta, and he subsequently bled out that wound. And at the time he was killed, Stephen was five foot nine. He weighed 220 pounds. He was healthy and very physically fit. After Stephen died, the cops worked hard to identify everyone who appeared in the video of Stephen's murder and the events that preceded it. And as they were looking at all of this footage, they saw that one of the three men who had later been summoned to the fight could visibly be seen with a gun in his hand. And as the fight turned into a brawl, he was sort of lurking on the periphery of the fight, almost as if he was wondering or confused about how he was going to get involved and whether or not he should use his gun. And for whatever reason, at some point, as Stephen has his back to this man and is wrestling with someone else, the man shoots Stephen in the back. The catalyst for this decision is unknown, but the repercussions of this event are obvious and brutal. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on the realreal.com. 
The RealReal is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. The police were able to identify those involved in this fight, and they made several arrests. And they identified the trigger man, too. And he was 24-year-old Peter Castillo. So who is this guy? Peter Castillo was from Salem, Massachusetts, and he referred to himself as an aspiring rapper, and he called himself Young Pete. Apparently in Salem, and this is the only thing we can find about him on, on the internet, so this is his, you know, peak in life. In Salem, people knew who he was because as a kid, he was a standout on the Salem Little League team, baseball team. And people were expecting him to maybe become a professional baseball player. So that's all we really know about Castillo. Okay, so the police knew who the likely shooter was, but there was just one problem. The police couldn't find him. And I mean, they really couldn't find him. They obtained a warrant and charged him with murder in tandem with their attempts to locate him. And eventually, the police discovered that Castillo had first fled to New York, and then he hopped on a plane, and he flew down to the Dominican Republic, where he had family ties. And the police described Castillo as a Hispanic male, 5'7", weighing approximately 150 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. Meanwhile, Stephen's family were barely holding it together. They had lost Stephen, and now on top of that, they were dealing with the possibility that his killer may never see justice. We found out, I believe it was within a month after Stephen had died, that he had fled the country. He had drove to New York the Monday after Stephen was killed, and he flew out of JFK to the Dominican and bought a one-way ticket. After that, I was so depressed, and I felt like I was in shock for like months after afterwards. It was like just a crazy time that I kind of tried to just put him out of my mind. Months passed. And then on October 24, 2012, Castillo was placed on the U.S. Marshals' 15 most wanted list of fugitives. A $25,000 reward was offered for information leading to his arrest. And America's Most Wanted aired a segment on the hunt for Castillo, featuring the charges he was facing for killing Stephen Perez in cold blood. How do you best describe Stephen Perez Jr., a decorated war veteran for starters? Stephen had just finished his second tour when he found himself back home in the States. But tragically for this brave soldier, he'd soon find out that the battle zones of Afghanistan and Iraq would be much safer than his hometown streets of Boston. Detectives quickly identified and arrested nearly all the players in this tragedy. But unfortunately, the alleged shooter remains at large, Peter Castillo. Despite quick investigative work, Sergeant Sullivan was unable to capture Castillo 
before he fled Boston for New York, then boarded a plane to the Dominican Republic. They weren't able to extradite him. But I'm assuming he was staying with his with family there, who, of course, you do anything for your family, were probably hiding him. All I could think about in my head was like, the beautiful beaches in the Dominican. And, you know, like him laying on a beach with a frozen drink while we're home mourning. I'm mourning the loss of my cousin and my best friend. Stephen's family struggled to keep moving forward with their lives as justice for Stephen loomed in purgatory. But luckily, behind the scenes, the U.S. Marshals were making slow yet steady progress in terms of locating the perpetrator. They'd received information that led them to believe that Castillo was living at an address in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. And once they identified the house, the Marshals worked for the Dominican Republic's own fugitive task force. They went to the address in search of him, and it turns out it was the correct house. But Castillo wasn't going to make this easy on anyone and not himself either. He fled the home and a manhunt followed. The entire neighborhood was searched and luckily they did eventually find him hiding nearby. So finally, Castillo was in custody and officially under arrest and charged with first-degree murder and unlawful possession of a firearm. He now also faced a federal charge of unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. And now it had been two and a half years since Stephen's murder. Two and a half years that Castillo got to live free outside of prison walls after taking Stephen Perez's life. And for those two and a half years, Stephen's family had been waiting for Castillo to be held accountable. The detective on the case had called my mom and my mom had walked into my room at that time and she was just like crying, but she was smiling at the same time. And I was like, oh, this is weird. What's happening? And she was like, they got him. They got him. And I just immediately knew what she was saying. I think finally the U.S. Marshals had found where he was. It, it was like so exciting in a way, knowing that they were finally able to go get him. But it was also like we were just reliving this all over again. And he had been forced back into my mind. So once detectives were face-to-face with Castillo, this was his story. He said that after getting the call from his friends, he pulled his gun out from underneath the seat of his car because he didn't know what was going on, and then he speed-walked down the ramp of the garage. He heard screaming, and he approached the fight that was going on. So he saw the driver of the car, and it was his friend named Hector Lopez, and Hector's face was covered in blood. So Castillo took his gun out and he shot Steven. And his reasoning was because he was fighting with his other friend. And the defense that he was going after here is that he was justified in shooting Steven because his friend was in danger. When the truth is, he impulsively pulled the trigger without understanding the incredible magnitude of what he was about to do and how many lives he would ruin or alter drastically as a result. Castillo pled not guilty to the charges he was facing. And as the trial approached, the pain of what happened was dredged back up for everyone in Stephen's life. It was emotional and it was awful, honestly. At that point, my friends who had been dating Stephen's friends, they had broken up. It was almost like our group that we were, like all of us together was just kind of like, it almost like fell apart. 
And four years, everyone's lives had changed. By that time, we weren't 21 anymore. We were late 20s, yes. And everyone had different lives. And I felt like I was still stuck. The trial lasted four days. There was no issue in the case as to who fired the fatal shot. Castillo admitted that he did. But he was arguing that he was worried for the life of his friend. Being in that courtroom, it was really hard, you know, listening to what the defense had to say, I guess, about my cousin. And of course, that's their job to make their, who they're defending, you know, make them look good. But it just, seeing him in court made it really hard for me and my family as well. Listening to my Uncle Stephen cry and hearing his sobs is like something I'll never forget. It's like heart-wrenching, you know, watching like a grown man sob like that because he lost his son tragically, and it's not fair. It hurts always. Being at trial kind of just brought me back to that day and, you know, that whole week, which was just a horrendous week for all of us. We want to remind you of the senseless events that led to Stephen's shooting. It was neither Stephen nor his friends that started this fight. They didn't throw the first punch either. They didn't call for reinforcements to escalate the events that evening. The opposing group did. The whole situation was a mess and completely senseless. And Ariana and her family had to look at the back of this guy's head in court. Someone who brings a gun to a nightclub, you know, on a Friday night out in the city, it's almost like you're looking for trouble. I feel like that's, I almost feel like it's not to protect you. Like, you know, what is your point for a night out drinking, having fun, dancing, you know, with your friends? What, at what point do you feel like, oh, I'm definitely going to need a gun? You know, like I don't, I never got ready for a night out being like, all right, I have my lipstick, I have my wallet and oh, my gun. Perfect. That doesn't make sense to me. I feel like there's ill intent there. He knew he shot him. He knew what he did. He wasn't denying that he did it, but it was more that they wanted manslaughter and knowing that that has a lesser sentence, like really, that's what kind of worried us. We couldn't see his face, but he never spoke. He never seemed angry or it was just kind of like no emotion. And I don't know if that was his way of showing that he was scared or, you know, what it was, but there was just nothing. He never looked anywhere else but directly in front of him. Very hard to read. Both the prosecution and the defense presented their arguments and the jury was sent out to deliberate. It only took 90 minutes for them to return a guilty verdict, finding him guilty of first-degree murder. And after handing down this ruling, the judge said, quote, in, in another age, this incident that occurred resulted in some people going home with black eyes, split lips, and hurt feelings. And they'd go on to live the rest of their lives. But this is where we are today. And I think my personal take on this is in the age of, of gun violence, senseless gun violence. Um, when this verdict was handed down, Peter Castillo did not react. 
Stephen's mother, who was Ariana's aunt, spoke after the verdict, and her name was Kimberly McGee, and she said, my heart goes out to his family also. They're suffering too. This kind of violence ripples through all of our lives. There is no joy at the end of the tunnel for any of us. When they read the verdict, you know, of course, you're instructed not to show any emotion. But there were, it sounded like it was his, his family. They started crying. And in a way, it almost made me feel bad for being happy. Because, you know, that's a family that they're not going to see their son. As, you know, as far as we know, it's, he had life without parole. So he wouldn't, they wouldn't see him out of a jail. You know, and that's that I, don't, I felt for them in a in a weird way, because you think of someone, you know, dying, you, you know, that's an obvious thing where it's sad. But then you also think of someone you love doing something wrong and then you don't get to see them again. It's, it's also like a, it's a loss, you know, and it's just like a loss of life all around. Kind of. It's just it, it was a weird mix of emotions. They were sitting, I believe behind us or a couple rows behind us I feel like he didn't just ruin our family you know he ruined his own family as well Stephen Perez had a girlfriend at the time of his death her name was Cassandra Barrasso and following the verdict she said it feels like I've been in a lifetime of pain and many members of Stephen's family also read victim impact statements including Ariana And once they were finished, the Suffolk Superior Court judge gave Castillo a mandatory life in prison without parole. So normally, a guilty outcome followed by a life without parole sentence would act as a demarcation line of sorts for the family, marking the phase where they could try to pick up the pieces and move on. But this wasn't going to be the case for Stephen's family. Because only a few weeks ago, in October of 2020, a Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court resentenced Castillo in a precedent-setting ruling made by Judge Ralph Gantz. That first-degree murder conviction was downgraded to second degree. And while he was serving a life-without-parole sentence, his new sentence will allow for the possibility for parole after nine years. So... In order to charge an individual with first-degree murder in Massachusetts, the murder has to have an element of extreme atrocity or cruelty. There could be other capital elements like conspiracy and that, but in in Castillo's case, this applied. So Castillo's lawyer on appeal argued that the murder of Stephen Perez didn't meet that standard, so it should have been second-degree murder. In a unanimous decision, the court found that The jury should not solely consider whether a murder victim suffered before death, but must also consider the defendant's criminal intent before deciding if the murder was an act of extreme atrocity or cruelty, which is, like I said, one of the required elements for first-degree murder conviction. So in Massachusetts, a first-degree murder carries a mandatory life-without-parole sentence. But if a person is convicted of second-degree murder, they are eligible for parole, which is why Castillo's sentence was ultimately amended. And after the ruling, the prosecutor in Stevens' case said the following, quote, This decision is part of a troubling trend of diminishing and minimizing the crime victim. Homicide victims literally have no voice. 
This whole thing is devastating for Stephen's family, especially because it means that this ruling could give more convicted murderers a chance for parole when the family of their victims thought that they would be behind bars forever. And Stephen's family's fear is that his stolen life has now been reduced to a ruling that criminal defense attorneys will cite to try to get convicted killers leniency. I almost felt like numb. It was almost like like a punch in the gut. From my understanding, this will change the way other first-degree murders from now on, the way they're looked at with that charge. The first thing I thought of was, so because of Peter Castillo and my cousin's death, other people in years to come won't be charged with first-degree murder. And it was like, so for them, it's like Peter Castillo is a hero. Attorneys will look at it. They'll be like Commonwealth first. Castillo, and then they'll reference that as how how to get out of first-degree murder. But don't forget the victim. He took a 22-year-old boy. Like he took a took his life. I don't want my cousin Stephen's name to get lost, and I don't want his memory, you know, to be shattered. I guess, and you know, like one thing that really. Uh, like really stuck with me was when they found him in the Dominican. And the first thing he said was, I know why you're here. I did it. I shot. I am sorry. I forget his name. You know, it's his name is Steven Perez. That's his name. And you took his life. It's important to Steven's family that he's remembered for who he was, not for his murder, which became a precedent setting case that essentially benefits murderers. What really pushed me to email you guys, I guess, was that I always think of how Billy Jensen said, like, everybody knows Ted Bundy's name, but can you name his victims? There's nothing you can do to bring Stephen back. I just want to give my cousin a voice, even though he doesn't have his own voice anymore. Don't remember him the way he died and how you know tragic it was and the stupid fight that he got into. Remember him for who he was while he was alive. He was such a goofball. We always had so much fun. All we did was laugh. And, you know, he was a ladies' man. And, like, we always used to make fun of him for that. I believe it's in the America's Most Wanted episode where my uncle says his goal was to be a U.S. Marshal. Like, at the end of the day, that was his life goal. He wanted to protect. He wanted to help. The cosmic shuffling of the deck is something that we talk about a lot here on The First Degree, and it's important to realize that we can encounter the potential for conflict anywhere and everywhere. Every street corner, every elevator, every restaurant, every nightclub and parking garage. Since I was a little girl, my dad had always told me, you know, be aware of your surroundings, pay attention to everyone who's around you. And it was almost like it was heightened after that. You never know who's around you. You don't know what weapon they have or, you know, what's in the back of their head. Over something stupid as a girl yelling something at you from a car, don't even, don't even, don't even say anything back. Don't, don't engage. You never know. You just don't know who's around. There's fistfights all the time at clubs, at bars, you know, and that's all it was. And that's all it had to be. It was just a one-on-one fight. But again, anyone can pull a gun and shoot at any time, no matter where you are. It's scary. It's just don't, just don't engage. 
We're going to end today's episode by reading a portion of the email Ariana initially sent to us. When Stephen first passed away, we raised money for scholarships for high school students pursuing careers in criminal justice, which is what Stephen did. Now it's eight years later and there aren't any more fundraisers in my cousin's name. He did so much in a short time here, including two tours in the army, Iraq and Afghanistan. All of that as a young man to just be forgotten. And this is us now. When you think about all of the training Stephen went through in the military, all the times he was in a dangerous situation, then you think about all the hours he studied in college, in high school, in middle school, in elementary school, everything Stephen did to make himself a better person, all the love he gave to his family, all the, all the time he put into his friendships, only to have his life taken away over some drunken words exchanged in a parking garage. A lot of words come to mind when trying to make sense of it all, but time and time again, there is one word you keep coming back to, and that's just senseless. All right. Well, a huge thank you to Ariana for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell or you know somebody that has a story to tell, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Fanick. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time. Just search the first degree on your Facebook search bar and stick around because we're going to kill some time and celebrate Alexis and Billy's new show. And celebrate Jack Vanek, who's the Chris Jenner of the podcast and my life. <laughs> <laughs> happy, um, happy stress day. Oh, sorry. Oh, Billy didn't even do a sign off. <laughs> We're leaving this in. Wow. Go, Billy. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. <laughs> Sounded good, Jack. No, it did not on my end. Happy stress day. Bye. Happy chicken lady day. Happy candy day. Big thanks to Jared Monaco for creating original music for The First Degree and for his sound design magic. Shout out to our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for today's episode includes America's Most Wanted, NBC Boston, Salem News, CBS Boston, The Boston Globe, Court Documents, The Boston Herald, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Killing Time. You know, we record Killing Time before we record the actual episode to kind of like get us in the mood, get us in the groove. And how long did it take us to set this up, Alexis? Oh my gosh. At least 35, 35 minutes. We could have been done by now. It's very we upsetting. Could have, we could have been. And we also record very late at night because you guys are working on your show all day, every day. And we record very late on Monday nights usually. So you, we could use those really, really good late minutes for like a sleep. I know. Or like a 
decompress anything else besides a waste, <laughs> frankly. I would just really like to know if Mercury is in retrograde. Not that I believe in this whatsoever, but before we started, I'm having issues with my email being full for no fucking reason, and I couldn't start my Zoom. I don't know what's going on, but like, I would like to hope that somehow it's related to Mercury fake spinning in the wrong way. That's what people say. My mom's like, I'm not buying a new car because Mercury's in retrograde. I'm like, okay, some other time then. But isn't Mercury, isn't Mercury's retrograde not even real because it only looks like it's spinning backwards, but it's not. Do you know anything about this, Billy? You guys are speaking an entirely different language. <laughs> I don't know anything about – I mean, none of us know anything about it. It's just something people say. Yeah. It is something people say, and I think it's because – well, whatever. It's because people say Mercury spins in the other way, but it's only an illusion. So it doesn't – nothing actually even happens. But, you know, I, we just have to have, like, an excuse for why things are yeah. going wrong. That's you know, right. The world, the world is an illusion. What is time? What a is construct. space? A construct. It's, what it's is a like, flat circle. Oh, Space-time continuum has uh, abruptly changed in the last eight months. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, it sure fucking has. I it don't has. have any concept of time. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so before we start killing time, I just wanted to say an official congrats to you guys Aww, on your show. You. Thank you. Thank you. I think the the announcement was before the last episode re, re I mean after the last episode re recorded, correct? Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. Well, congrats. It's so exciting. I know like all the firsties were like freaking the fuck out everybody was like because when we said Jared, jared's gonna be editing the podcast portion of it it was like where's jack i'm like jack is chris jenner she's slowly making us <laughs> yeah. all rich she's just pulling all the strings it was funny because somebody i saw comments on one of your posts and it was like wow did you mean girls jack <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, you're you've got your hands in all of these things. It's Jack's way. She, she just yes, it's Jack's way. Yes. Yeah, I mean her I mean, boyfriend we, is we literally going to edit it. So yeah, and, we, and can, can make us say anything he wants us to say. That's right. When yeah. it comes down to it, yeah. Well, the thing is, we are. This is what we we had a whole meeting about this the other night. It's like our main goal as a trio is we're building this world and this like multifaceted kind of thing within the first degree world that maybe there'll be a project with two of us. Maybe it's one, but we're all we're living inside the same family and we're just at the beginning of it. Yeah. So I'm not that's exactly right. I'm not really, I'm not super jealous, but I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> that's fine. We're you and I are going to be a secret I, I can't say it. No, you can't say it. You can't say that. So no, we yeah. have. There's a lot coming down the pipeline. So um, yeah. Billy will have his time to be left out. When you had Billy on Lady Gang, I felt left out. When Jared and Billy <laughs> wanted a goth Christian band, I felt left out. When Marka, first of all, it's a goth Billy, country band. You, you and Billy. You and Billy. <laughs> That's still happening. You and Billy, a goth Christian band. <laughs> you and Billy are on the bestsellers list. I felt left out. You and Jared frozen embryo, although I am involved because <laughs> a tank egg has emerged. But no, we we're all we're all enmeshed with each other to varying degrees, and it is a collective unit of um, creativity. Yes. You it's know, like, it's like I'm sorry, Jack, but it's like the Avengers. We're the Avengers, yes. and this is like the Avengers movie. But then 
you know, Thor has a movie and Hulk shows up in it. And it's just like, oh, that's cool. You know, so and and you have all of these different things coming on. But yes, this is the Avengers movie that you listen to every Wednesday. You know what I really my my full circle moment that I feel that I could service you guys during your venture would be if I got a paid Instagram ad for your show. Seriously. You know, and you might, sitting there. It might happen. You've done other Discovery ID stuff, right? No, they yeah, love yeah. me. Yeah. I'm like the per- well, it's it. like nothing is more on brand than an ID ad for me. So mm-hmm. it's like you never know. I might be sitting with my computer up looking up the case. Yeah. Ready to ready to dive in. That's right. <laughs> it would be the best full circle moment ever. Um, okay, so it's called Unraveled. Now po- we were so the talking pod- the podcast part. So they haven't me and Billy can talk about it. It's fine. Billy is gonna be all yeah. uppity. But like they talk about what you can. Yeah. So they essentially announced the podcast portion, but there's also a TV portion. So, but they hinted at it in the press release. They were like, it's going to be an anthology series, but they didn't really elaborate on TV. The TV part's going to have a different name, um, which Mm. we're, we keep sending them suggestions and they keep getting rejected. So we're like, well, who knows what it's going to be called, but (laughs) Unraveled is the podcast. But wasn't, but wasn't Unraveled. The that was one of the options. Did you pitch it to the for the TV show and then they took it for the podcast? Um, I think they were thinking of Unraveled for the entire series and then they just haven't landed on the TV part. They're not going to name it the same thing, it seems. So, um, we're you know, we'll see what it ends up being named. Interesting, yeah. So, don't get your tattoos just yet. Yeah. I, see, I loved the name Unraveled when there was like great possibilities. For, great the, yeah. I can just see like the title, like the the text, the font title, like unraveling like yarn, you know, like mm-hmm. a like a red yarn in the un- yeah. I can I, see I think it. it. And I think it really works as a podcast because a podcast, we're talking seven hours, you know. So this yeah. is gonna be a, a slow fat slow burn, but it's gonna be we're, what we're doing is we're pulling on that that string and unraveling the corruption, unraveling the serial killer story, the myth, the legend, all of that. That's what we're doing. So, right. you know, television is different. Television is just so fast. Television is, is more of a, uh, of an summary. Than it is It'll be a summary yeah. of what we cover in the podcast. So yeah, I mean, they should be announcing the TV part like any day. So stay tuned, yeah. but that's what, that's, what's cool about it because I mean, I feel like, there either even though true crime audience is all one i feel like it sometimes it is a different audience that will end up watching the tv show and then a different audience that'll find the podcast 100%. and that just now kind of crosses them back over mm-hmm. and also i don't know if i've ever watched like uh like a special or whatever that has that podcast component of it where it is like if you want to know more because there is especially for the story yeah with all the research you guys have done there's so much more that i'm sure even six or seven episodes or whatever it's going to be it won't even i mean there's probably nothing in the grand scheme we wanted more we wanted more it doesn't even all fit in the seven hours no, it, it really was because when you know you're working on a one hour or a two hour, sometimes you're just like, I know this won't ever make it in. And now we know it can make it in. And, it, you know, the idea going into it was, was what if they had cameras from the start when they were doing some of your favorite, you know, seven 
to 10 episode podcasts. Like and that's what we decided to do. It's like, like serial. So it's like, might as well, mm. let's start filming right away. And it really was, we have so much content um, and we're, we're, you know, we're really able to tell the story in a different way. And if you want to, if you're listening to the podcast, so many times when you listen to podcasts, you'd be like, I wonder what that looks like. I wonder what, how that, how that oh was. God. I wonder, I wonder how uncomfortable that was. And what did the, what, what did their faces look like? The, all that kind of stuff. And you're able to see that because I will say this, this is one of the most beautifully shot shows in true crime that I've ever seen. Yeah, can you talk about like the cinematic kind of idea of it? Because usually, you know, especially those type of true crime shows, it's very, sometimes it can get hokey. Sometimes the reenactments can get a little bit cheesy. Like you don't, there's only been a few true crime shows or documentaries or whatever that actually are shot beautifully at the same time. Like those things usually don't go like hand in hand together. Yeah, we got really lucky because the we have no recreations at all. So it's like that is a huge gift and it's really just like us. And it's like they shot a lot of slow-mo. Um, there was, <laughs> oh, there's one scene where literally Billy, like it's going to be super cool. There's a train about to come by and I'm like standing by the train and he pushed me out of the way. <laughs> So that he could be in the shot as a trainer by like James Bond. I was like, oh my God, that is, that was surreal. Like what Wait, just happened? Or it was the fact that Alexis had been saying all day, I don't know where I'm walking. I can't walk. And she came really close to actually hitting the freaking train as it came not by. True and I was trying to save her. It's you know absolutely what's, true. You know what's so good about this is that there's a video of this. So mm -hmm. the truth will come out one way or another of which way Billy pushed Alex towards the train from the train. But yeah. I'm sorry. I did the whole, cause you guys told me the story uh, a while ago. There's nothing that like, there's nothing that's more perfect for your relationship than oh that story. It's seriously it's like, like, so you, where's it? Here's the scene. Okay, here we go. Alexis, get the fuck out of here. That's right. No, it was it was this basically Alexis walking into a bunch of stuff the the entire shoot uh, uh, while we were on that train platform, and then I then the train comes by, and then I push her out of the way of the train. It wasn't for me to get a better shot of myself. Oh, there was mm, sure there was literally a whole crew staring at us. No one else was concerned that I was too close to the train. Out of and the showrunner <laughs> was watching, so I don't. He literally is making this up, but it's fine. Um, the point is, is that it is beautifully shot. It, um, yeah, I mean, we're super excited about it. I think always once it comes out, we're going to be our own critics. I'm sure we'll wish we could have done this or that, but I think overall we're going to be super happy with it. And those moments where we're making these like really uncomfortable phone calls for the podcast where we're like confronting people in our story, like all of that they filmed us doing. So it's oh a lot God. of- there's a lot of really tense moments. There's a lot of really like uncomfortable, really uncomfortable moments where like, yeah. I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck? Like it is really, we knock on some doors, we get yelled at. It, there's a whole lot of sh cringy stuff that they'll probably edit it pretty well, but it's worth, it'll be worth seeing for sure. I know. I'm like, can I, I yeah. Uh, I want to know. It, like, do you think all of those moments will make it in? Some or enough of them will make it in. I think some will make it in. They'll all be in the podcast, but you know, two hours of TV. We shot probably like 30, 40 hours of footage. So they always just take the best stuff. So hopefully the good shit makes it in. 
Oh my gosh. I am so, so excited for this. Like I'm more excited for this than anything that's happened in my life. (laughs) Well, that's how I felt when your TV show came out where literally I was just so excited and you are so, well, you're, you're so cool. Like you're just very passive about it. And I think we're like that. We don't want to, we're humble. We don't want to like draw too much attention. Like the day it airs, I'll probably need to just like go to bed and not (laughs) look at like the world's reaction to it you know what I mean like yeah it's just one of those things we're just not attention seeking so it's hard yeah Yeah, and it's it's also gonna be hard too because it's you know we did put you know Alexis put five years into this you know and I, I came on you know for like six months of it and then you know we did we did a really intense six weeks there and uh you know and then there's a lot of there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of people that play and stuff, stuff like that. So it's going to be like, you know, seeing your, your kid go off to college. And Well, it is so crazy because Lex, I remember like you have been working on this and you've done like different kind of packages to pitch it to, for different things. And I remember you showing me the first, I don't know if it was like a trailer or whatever it was Sizzle, packaged yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. Sizzle. This was, I mean, I was still living in Hollywood. It had to have been like six, not six years ago, five like years ago, five, I guess, I went in the very beginning. And yeah. I was like, <laughs> it's so, it's this, even back then, the story was so like convoluted and layered. And you're like, I can't, I'd need to sit you down for like five hours to explain this whole thing from top to bottom. Like it is so complicated and so fucking crazy that it's like, unlike anything that you have ever yeah, heard. It's, it's funny when we posted the announcement about it, I almost got cheesy on my Instagram post and was going to say something to the effect of when they say hard work pays off, you almost never really believe it. And it's not even hard work. It's like people said no to this project for literally mm-hmm. years, so many times. People said no in every meeting. People said no over and over in every medium. Like, no, no, no. Things held it up for five years. And it's like, for whatever reason, I just, it didn't upset me and it didn't um, sh- rattle my confidence in the project itself. I just knew it was fucking gold. And I knew eventually someone would say yes, but it was complicated. And I think it was just the angle that had to get and it was timing and it was Billy and it was probably the pandemic and all sorts of variables that cause it to actually happen. But people message me all the time. And I'm sure Jacqueline messaged you like, your career is so cool. How do I do this? And it's like, how do I do that? It's like literally fucking kill yourself with, with how hard you work, not literally kill yourself. It's like Jack knows, Billy knows. It's like, I've spent two or three years up all night, like doing working in TV shows, doing the podcast, like trying to make this other thing happen. And there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts no. if you don't want to put on the work. Well, and especially for a project like this, like that focuses on like a deep dive of a singular case, especially something like this that's so fucking convoluted. But it's like you can't half-ass it. And this is, mm-hmm. I think, especially for you, Alexis, like this is the definition of a passion project. Like you're going to keep doing this even if you didn't end up getting paid for it one day and it didn't turn into something that was real. Like this was something that you were like diving like head on for fucking years and years and years and years and it didn't matter what it was. So I think at the end of the day, that is what's going to make it so good because you have that behind it. You're not looking for or you weren't looking for like the money or the notoriety or anything else that like kind of like waters down a story. 
because people are looking for things that go along with the story. So I think that it's just going to be such a fantastic thing. And I'm so proud of you guys. Jack, you're the most supportive friend ever. I love you so much. And honestly, like this is getting really cheesy. I don't think so much of my career has, has turned out well because like I partnered with you on this and like, you're just, you're my sister. I love you so much. And you're always so supportive. And even if I won't be proud of myself with something, you'll do it. Cause you know that I'm too, you know what I mean? Like I'm too yeah. nervous to give myself any props or anything. So you'll like do it. But I just, I just love and appreciate you so much. No, I and love you both. Yeah. Oh, you're the, you're you, the best. Jack. And you too, Billy. Thanks. You are the best. <laughs> <laughs> or like, whatever. No, I feel like, I mean, not to get like cheesy, but like, I think us three coming together, which was such like a kismet kind of thing. And it was something that I think none of us really understood what the future of it would bring and how we'd benefit each other's lives in different ways. Because I feel like with the show, the show probably wouldn't you guys wouldn't have been as close if we didn't start this podcast. So then Billy probably wouldn't have been involved with the show. So it's like all these weird things that have snowballed to like lead us to where we are today. And it's just really exciting because I feel like we are besties and we support each other in so many different ways. And I think it really, it pays off in like the coolest way because there's no like real ego involved in any of our like little, our little thing. Oh guys, this is this is really good. I feel like I feel like we should end it on a high note. Yeah. Let's end it. Okay. We love you guys. Uh time of death. 1817. Beep beep. Beep. beep.